2: Hello, I'm Anya Lawler. This is your weekly Your Politics podcast from Leinster House. Our correspondent Paul Cunningham is with me. Hello. We'll be joined by our editor David Murphy shortly. And on the line, we have the Green TD for Dublin South Central. Now, back in the part party fold, Patrick Costello, good afternoon to you.
0: Hi guys, how are you?
2: Well, it's been sweetness and light, hasn't it, Patrick, since you rejoined the Green Parliamentary Party? Is that because the can on CETA is being firmly kicked down the road?
0: Um, I think I think that there is time and breathing space now in terms of CETA, which certainly removes some of the internal tensions and pressures. But I think also ultimately we do we all are on the same side. We all are trying to achieve the same things, such as meaningful climate action. Um, So I think that's what, I would feel that that's what is bringing us together and certainly helped with some of the camp.
1: But do you think that um, it is likely that the party is going to be able to resolve any differences in-house, that there won't be a requirement in the near future for you to take that walk again or maybe be kicked out again?
0: Um, I think so. I think so. Now, look, I think it depends on... I think it really depends on what the challenges we face are. I think if CETA does come back, myself and NASA have been very clear that we won't be doing anything to support or to implement investor courts. Both of us have already said that clearly in other interviews. So I think a lot of it depends on what happens with CETA. But as I say, I think we've breathing room now. First of all, there's a legal headache for the AG to address the issues that were raised by the court, but also the Germans in recent days have taken steps to ratifying it and so a constitutional challenge has begun in Germany and their court is incredibly slow. It took them four or five years to deal with the issue of provisional implementation of CETA, so to deal with the substantive issue of ratifying could easily take another four or five years.
2: Um, But there is another question for the Greens, uh, isn't there, Paul? And this is uh, when the rubber is going to meet the road in terms of the Climate Action Plan.
1: Yes, so people will remember that um, we initiated this legislation which was to ensure that... um, we reduced our emissions by 51% by the year 2030 and that we became carbon neutral by the year 2050. Um, We then had sectoral emissions, in other words, a certain amount of greenhouse gases that each area was going to have to reduce by and there was obviously a a fair bit of tussle over agriculture and now we're going to have a revised climate action plan. The expectation had been, and this came from the Environment Minister himself, uh, Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader who has responsibility for climate action, was that it was going to go to a cabinet subcommittee last week and then would be passed this week. Then he sort of watered it down said he was hopeful that it would be passed next week and there may not be a need for a cabinet subcommittee. So the truth is, we simply do not know what's going to happen. It is going to come. It's going to come in the next couple of weeks. Um, The same areas they had difficulties before, they're going to have with this one. But um, whether it's next Tuesday or not is a bet rather than guaranteed.
2: Well, Patrick Costello, maybe you can help us on that, because you mentioned the importance of the revised climate action plan uh, to your party. When are we going to see it? Will it be this side of Christmas?
0: Um, well, I'm not involved in those, so I don't uh, can't give you a straight answer on that. My hope is we will see it this side of Christmas, because the sooner we have concrete steps, the sooner we have this new action plan, the better. The sooner we have the roadmap, the better. You know, we're working hard on all these issues. I know the Green Ministers, and Eamon Ryan in particular, are working hard in his departments to push climate action, but this plan will allow us to work across government and ensure that all of government is doing what it can on climate action. So the sooner the better, frankly.
1: Do you think that the government is working cohesively sort of on that issue and at a more broader level? Sometimes when you listen to interviews of the Fine Gael Minister of State, Patrick O'Donovan, he seems to have a particular problem with the Green Party and says it regularly.
0: I think broadly, government is. I think that the need for climate che- action has is generally accepted. I think most people in the population as well, as we've seen from recent research, not acknowledge the need for climate action. We may differ on how to get there, and we may differ on on the compromises that people are willing to make. But look, that's our role as the Greens in government, to try and go for faster, hard, stronger um, and more purposeful climate action, and to push that as much as we can, and to be as true to the science of climate change as we can. So, but generally, I think there's an acceptance across government that this is something we need to address, and that it's a very significant issue in terms of uh, life on this planet. So, I think, I think government is working well. I believe government is working well.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. I'm just uh, cu- it's curious listening to you, Patrick that you're kind of satisfied with the pace of change because we have been waiting for the revised climate action plan for a while. We know we're already behind on our targets. We're hearing from, you know, many sectors like offshore wind, there's no way they're going to be able to reach uh, the targets we're setting down for 2030. So if this is going to be real, don't we need to be making a lot more progress faster?
0: I think happy with the pace of change isn't quite accurate. I'm understanding that the pace of change is slow, but I'm not necessarily happy about that. I I acknowledge that we are in government with two other parties and we're not setting the whole of the agenda ourselves. And I acknowledge that, you know, we are dragging some people kicking and screaming on this, but we are getting there and we are moving things forward and getting this action plan in place as soon as possible is all part of that.
1: I mean, it was due to come out before COP happened, so that was November. We're now reaching the end of December and we're not sure that it's there. I'm just wondering if you had an insight and be able to explain as being a member of government, why is it that when it comes to climate action, we consistently fail? If you go all the way back to Kyoto, those commitments made 13% above 1990 levels didn't happen. We had the EU 2020 targets didn't happen. People are warning that their targets for 2030 are not happening. What is it? that makes us fail when it comes to climate action? Is it politics? Is it permanent government? Is it uh, inability to bring people with us? What is the reason?
0: I think there's a real challenge here um, in terms of climate action and making it real. Um, We know quite often people ask, what is the cost of a particular climate measure? The reality is we should be asking, what is the cost of not acting? and that's a much more, because we know that climate change will cause all sorts of huge problems for us and, you know, as well as a monetary cost, there will be impact on every sector of society. But those are, are perhaps more intangible, whereas the direct immediate cost is much more real and, and easier for people to grab onto. So I think there's an element of of the, the intangible about some of this that makes, that can be a challenge in terms of prioritizing and you know politics is often about competing priorities is always generally about competing priorities you have different sectors of society looking for support looking for help and you know you each government has to prioritize how they respond to these and i think because of some of those intangibles in climate change it can be it can be hard to get for it to get the priority it deserves. And the reality is, as I say, that, that there's a huge cost to not acting on climate change. And we're starting to see you know, increased problems with, with extreme weather events and things like that, an impact on farming, an impact on food supply. We're already seeing these things and yeah. they're only going to get worse. So right. I think we're now at a point where, where the cost of not acting is becoming very real. And I'm hopeful that we can progress that much further.
2: Well, we look forward to talking to you more, especially when uh, we do see that revised Climate Action Plan, whether it's this side of Christmas or beyond. I suspect we'll be hearing uh, a lot about it when it does. And in the meantime, thanks for talking to us on your politics, Patrick Costello.
0: No worries. My pleasure. Thank you. Good
2: luck. I do think it is an interesting um, fact. I
1: mean, I've been covering this now for 20 years and I still don't understand how we make these commitments and then are incapable of delivering them. Maybe there is a little bit of politics at play in which you set a target and like an oil tanker you might be able to turn the oil tanker you know
2: Paul do you ever hear oh, of the promises than... people make all the time and they never live up to them anyhow do you want to do you want to share them with the group there <laughs> oh that's just the old one in me coming out um, let's talk let's talk instead about Norma Foley and uh, she had a big plan this week didn't she Paul for uh, dealing with the teacher shortage yeah well First of all, it came across as the plan
1: and the the uh, the sort of the way it was presented was a plan. And we began to think that the best thing to do was to sort of axe career breaks. And this is obviously because there's a shortage of teachers and um, people are concerned about it. Um, and then we found out that it was just an idea rather than a plan. And then we found out that the minister herself was on a career break. And then we found out that this was an idea which would have to be discussed with the trade unions before anything would happen. The trade union movement um, was saying that they were very much dismayed that this would be the go-to issue to try and resolve it. And then, of course, with most of things, it all ends up coming back to housing because they were talking about the difficulties in securing these teachers, particularly in urban areas, was sky-high rents and the inability of teachers to come and live in places like Dublin because they just couldn't afford it. That was why there were the gaps. So you found that it wasn't just an issue of education, it was, to use that horrible phrase, a
2: cross-government problem. And the Social Democrats, Gary Gannon, he was kind of sure that their motion on the shortage of teachers that was debated in the Doyle on Friday might have had something to do with it.
3: Well, maybe. I think one of the interesting things about it was that we had an incorporeal cabinet meeting. In other words, the members of cabinet are rung up over the phone and asked to agree to something. And there were a number of measures, and among those measures was the re-examination of the career breaks. But it was clear by yesterday that I think some members in government were not entirely happy with this. I think by the end of yesterday, they were all stressing there had been no final decision on this. So the government decision
1: that it hadn't even got as far as a decision, that it was still sort of a
3: couple of steps back in which it was an idea, a concept, a principle. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I guess in a way maybe one of the things about this is incorporeal meetings. You don't have the benefit of the back and forth of a minister coming to the table, making a proposal, the other Mm fourteen at the table chucking it round. Discussing it and then maybe suggesting that there might be another way of uh, cracking that nut. But I think you're right. Usually,
1: you know, incorporeal meetings are about giving an uh, affirmation to a policy as opposed to negotiation. Exactly. There seemed to be an issue which was at a cabinet meeting, which maybe it shouldn't have been at. It was... Because that ain't the type of thing you it do over the phone. does
2: raise a question about political judgment, though, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely. <clears throat> but maybe actually the mechanism of political judgment, if you cast your mind back, one of the biggest and most controversial decisions ever reached by an Irish government was the bank guarantee. And the members of the government signed off on that on an incorporeal meeting in the early hours of the morning. And you question over time, did they really realise what they were guaranteeing, did they really realise what the full liability on the Irish state would be and we all know that story.
2: Still had to pay the bill, though.
3: That's we still, still had to pay the bill, <laughs> but there are other ways. There are other ways to solve a banking crisis other than introducing was a bank the guarantee. Where,
1: um, the leader of the Green Party at the time was John Gormley,
3: and they were banging on his door because they were trying to get through to him and couldn't. They got his guard a driver to um, Wakeham. They sent out his guard a yeah. driver to Wakeham. There you go. That was the, the big ancient night. history at this stage. Now. I'll tell you one thing. Everyone but around the table t-
2: is thinking about. Um, but they're not talking and we know the three party leaders will be discussing it uh, early next week. And this is the reshuffle.
3: Yeah, so actually um, the the logistics of next week are kind of becoming a little bit clearer um, in the sense that we've just had the Aroctus publish the timetable for the day of the big switcheroo, Saturday, December the 17th, when I suppose a lot of people around the country will be uh, doing their Christmas shopping. But they're all going to be here in Leinster House. And um, according to that schedule, 10.30 in the morning, it's going to kick off and we're going to have um, the Taoiseach Michal Martin will announce to the Doyle that uh, he has resigned and the Doyle will hear nominations from Taoiseach, from the government, from the opposition. They'll have a vote on that. And, and then they're
2: going through all that thing that we normally do. Of You know, Mary Lou MacDonald will be yes. long, all of that and they'll all vote on all of that. They,
3: yeah. And then they'll vote. And we know, obviously, with the way things are going to go, um, Leo Varadkar will be voted in as the next Taoiseach and then the Doyle will break at one o'clock and he will go up to or ouk drawn he'll come back down to government buildings there'll, he'll, there'll be meetings there'll be speculation there'll be people walking across the bridge people walking through the car park the political journalists will be hanging out making notes of who's in who's not in who's smiling who's smiling and who was just going in to get a cup of tea and then uh, five o'clock according to the schedule the doyles will reconvene And um, the uh, new Taoiseach will unveil his cabinet and there'll be a vote on that before 7 o'clock in the evening. And then uh, they'll all be up to the auras to collect their seals of office and have a cabinet meeting. So it'll be a long day. We'll cover it all in RTE, all the ins and outs.
2: Yes, we've. Got, th- this is our idea of a Christmas party, isn't it, David? <laughs> talking, <laughs> talking about government formation. So, Paul, what's the speculation? I mean, obviously, the big change is the Taoiseach and the Tanister. Me, how are we
1: the... Because the day before the um, Cahierle of the Shannon will be changed, with Finna Falls Mark Daly standing down, and it's a Finnegale senator who will be assuming powers. that's the big switcher. And the big so so this speculation there here, is Jerry but, Butmer. Jerry Butmer, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so you've basically got a fixed number of ministers of cabinet. You've got the Taoiseach who doesn't hold a department and you've got 14 other ministers. And we do know that Eamon Ryan, um, Roger Gorman and Catherine Martin, the three Green ministers are staying in situ. So that brings you down to 11. We know that there is going to be a swap between Pascal Donoghue and um, Michael McGrath. So that takes you down to nine.
2: Arico Finchair. Fincher.
1: Exactly. And then, or no, Eurogroup. And then we've also got, um, who we've got? We've got Dara O'Brien staying in housing. So, then you look at it, what, a seven or eight um, departments, which could change. The big thing is that when Leo Varadkar moves into the Taoiseach's office, he stops being the Minister for Enterprise. So if they wanted to have the most boring reshuffle ever, Michal Martin would just go to Enterprise, that's it, done, dusted, and they move on. However, we think it's more likely speculation, that's all it is, but it's more likely that Micheál Martin will want to go to foreign affairs. He's been there before, but um, this would ensure that Fianna Fáil has an input into Northern Ireland policy um, because he would be one of the negotiators and it would also allow him to retain influence over the shared island initiative, which is something that's very close to his heart. So if he goes to Department of Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney has to go somewhere. And so there's a million options, but I'll just reduce it down to these two. A, Simon Coveney could go to the Department of Enterprise, end of reshuffle. Once again, he's just moving in where Leo Varadkar has vacated. But another suggestion is that maybe Fianna Gael wants to try and take agriculture from Fianna Fáil. That Simon Coveney, who had previously been the Minister of Agriculture, that he could go in there, shore up that Munster base. They'd lost a number of um, TDs in recent Mm -hmm. years and and want to get in there. But that raises the question, well, what happens to Charlie McConnell then? So then he could have a more um, involved... But it doesn't seem likely is that they're actually going to sack people. So they're moving the deck chairs rather than getting in new faces.
3: I think speaking to some of them just over the past day or so, the feeling is they're going to go for the minimal yeah. type of range of changes. But do you know who's
2: feeling nervous at the moment? You can see the strain on their faces and it's the junior ministers. And you can see the hope on some of the backbenchers' faces who are thinking maybe Blessed. their moment is coming.
3: Well, the interesting thing about next week is that they haven't allowed an awful lot of time for meeting and discussing the reshuffle so what we know is that there's going to be a meeting of the three party leaders on Monday night obviously there'll be the main cabinet meeting on Tuesday morning the Taoiseach will be in the Doyle we expect uh, Tuesday afternoon where he usually does a fairly lengthy session of a good few hours and then on Wednesday he is off to Brussels for a big summit which is followed then by um, the big EU uh, Council summit and that's going to go on until Friday evening And then we have the big changeover on Saturday. So uh, it would seem in terms of the amount of time they've allocated to this that perhaps it may be uh, a more minimal reshuffle. But who knows? I mean, People are often wrong about these things.
1: The deal will be done on Monday when those three leaders get in and finally all of them are saying we're going to discuss the issues then. And what has been clear over the past two and a half years is that when they choose to stay stumped, when they want to keep something secret, they're able to do it. So I still think it'll be Saturday. The guessing game will continue until then.
2: All right. Uh, One thing that looks to be a little bit more certain is, uh, whereas uh, President Higgins obviously will be busy on the 17th with uh, the seals of office, uh, he may also be... uh, Busier than he likes to be at the end of session with the amount of legislation coming down the track again?
1: Yeah, people might remember that um the president let it be known that he was unhappy the manner in which legislation was being passed to orison Nuthron. The president has to sign, you know, legislation into law or refer to the Supreme Court if um, he or she considers that there's a problem with it. And anyway, there was a rocket sent from Morris Nuthron saying, give me a break. They were sending piles of legislation just trying to get his stuff over the line. Um doesn't seem as if too much has changed. Still looks as if he's going to be having a ra- rather reedy Christmas with lots of legislation. So I think the interesting thing to be watched out is whether the president, who is in a second term in the second half of his second term, decides to make a point if he wants to register his um, his unhappiness with this. But obviously that's totally up well, to the it president. is
3: Well, there is a legitimate point there that uh, you know the president does have a role as another pair of eyes over all of this and if he gets a huge amount at one time it's more difficult for him to perform that function Absolutely
1: but it's also like classic unless the government is able to reform itself to ensure that it's only going to pass a certain amount of legislation in a certain number of weeks and they want to nearly time tie it And actually I think the, the, the legislative
2: timetable has been quite busy this season it's just there's an awful lot isn't there But and you th- could this see this it, is it is in, in the, the past couple up, of cabinet yeah.
1: meetings only where there was just the meetings were lengthy and yeah. there was a lot of stuff going through. Why? Because they're trying to more get stuff done by the old term. <clears> yeah. Trying
2: to clear them. Nothing like a deadline. Um, the open disclosure legislation though, th- that's that's going to be held over now till next year. That's not going to be completed. To the by end, end of January. End yeah. January. So
3: yeah. this was quite interesting because um, Sinn Féin raised some concerns regarding this open disclosure legislation which is being introduced following the uh, cervical check issue and particularly the commitments made by the government um, to the patients affected and particularly the the late Vicky Phelan and so obviously there was going to be a huge regime change this legislation was going to be the cornerstone of that Sinn Féin raised a number of concerns about it during the week then the other opposition politicians chimed in they said we've been hit with 46 pages of legislation just before it's supposed to go through the Oireachtas there isn't enough time to debate it And uh, then the government said it was open to making some changes, but it's not going to be be able to hold with its commitment to get all of this done by the end of the year. It is now going to go into next year, according to Leo Varadkar and uh, Stephen Donnelly, the health minister.
1: Yes, so it's going to go effectively what they did was the adjourned committee stage. Um, That committee stage will uh, resume sometime at the end of January. The health minister will bring in his amendments, Opposition will see if those amendments go far enough for their liking, and um, then it's either agreed or it'll go to a vote, and then it goes to the Shannon. So it won't be done by January, it'll be another few weeks after that, anyway.
2: All right, well, that's where we're going to leave it for this week. Thanks for listening to us. We'll be back with our uh, penultimate and pre reshuffle uh, yes, Christmas the drama, podcast. The drama, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, we'll all wear Santa hats <laughs> for that one. Uh, so we'll talk to you again ne- next week. Till then, thanks for listening. Good night. Bye.